This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Do you find yourself juggling multiple websites and clinical tools as you care for your patients? NeoCarePal is a resource providing access to multiple clinical calculators in just one place. To learn more, visit nicuconnections.com backslash NeoCarePal. This is The Incubator, a weekly discussion about new advances in neonatology and the fascinating individuals who make this progress possible. I am Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova-Barbeau. We are neonatal intensive care physicians. Welcome. Um, I had a paper. I want to see how much time we have. Okay. I had a paper. It's called Developmental Consequences of Short Apneas and Periodic Breathing in Preterm Infants. Um, the lead author, uh, Alicia Yi. This is in the Journal of Perinatology. And the question really was, do respiratory events predict developmental outcomes at six months of age? So they included infants born between 28 to 32 weeks of gestational age, uh, recruited between March 2018 and July uh, 2021. And basically what they did is they um, studied infants longitudinally using a sleep study, basically, which is exceedingly difficult to do in patient in U.S. NICUs. Um, but these were done in Melbourne, so they had access to all of those things. So they were studied longitudinally on four occasions, at 32 to 36 weeks postmenstrual age, at 36 to 40 weeks, um, either in-house or um, back in their follow-up if they had been discharged, at three and in six months post-term corrected age. And then they were seen either in the sleep center or um, in their own home because this was during the COVID pandemic. So at each of the four sleep studies, physiologic recordings made during two to three hours of daytime sleep in the supine position. And then all of the babies, well, most of the babies at six months corrected age underwent developmental assessments um, using the Bailey 3. Uh, the exclusion criteria, they did not recruit infants who continued to require ventilatory support or oxygen therapy, which I thought was interesting um, because the first evaluation was at 32 to 36 weeks. So um, just know that um, because they didn't want to use any confounding effect of lung pathology or chronic lung disease. They were not recruited if they were growth restricted, they had major congenital anomalies, major intracranial abnormalities, or significant um, intraventricular hemorrhage, they uh, excluded grades three and four. Or if they had a hemodynamically significant PDA because the known independent effects on neurodevelopment, they did not define uh, what they considered hemodynamically significant PDA. So 
Over the baseline characteristics, it was a small study. Um, 40 infants were recruited. Many were lost to follow-up, in particular given the COVID precautions after discharge. 26 completed sleep studies and developmental studies. Okay. They had a median gestational age at birth of 30 weeks, a median birth weight of 1.4 kilos, infant APGAR scores median of 7 at 1 minute, and a median of 9 at 5 minutes. Other things about the infants, they were all administered caffeine after birth, and 35% were still on caffeine treatment at the time of study one, which was, again, between 32 and 36 weeks postmenstrual age. Um, infants on caffeine at the time of the first study had a median caffeine dose of 8.6 milligrams per kilogram. And uh, all infants completed at least three of the four sleep studies for evaluation. Okay, so what did they find um, on the sleep studies? All infants experienced isolated apneas up to three months corrected age. And this fell to 92% at six months corrected age. But the isolated apnea definition, um, they used a respiratory cessation, either central or obstructive, lasting greater than or equal to three seconds. Okay. Um, in contrast, sequential apneas, which they defined as two sequential central apneas separated by normal breathing lasting less than or equal to 20 seconds. So two periods of apnea that were greater than or equal to three seconds, but separated by a brief uh, interruption of normal breathing, um, were reduced to 63% and uh, 63%. Um, at three months and below 40% at six months. So you see an improvement over time. They also documented periodic breathing. So periodic breathing that was defined as three or more sequential central apneas lasting greater than or equal to three seconds interrupted by normal breathing lasting less than or equal to 20 seconds. So these were reduced to 63%, uh, I'm sorry, reduced to 47% at three months and below 40% at six months. But all babies, many babies continued to have these um, brief apneas even at six months. Um, periodic breathing occupied um, a median of 8.5% of the total sleep time at 32 to 36 weeks postmenstrual age and 6.8% at 36 to 40 uh, weeks postmenstrual age. While the isolated apneas and sequential apneas occupied less than 5% of total sleep time at all ages. They also looked what ha what happened, what other physiologic things were happening with these um, brief respiratory events. Uh, falls in heart rate during respiratory events increased with increasing age, which was interesting. In contrast, the falls in SpO2 decreased with increasing age, with falls in SpO2 at three to six months corrected age being significantly less when compared to falls at 32 to 36 weeks postmenstrual age, so less dips in the oxygen saturation. But they did have more dips in the heart rate during these respiratory events. At all ages, the median group average time spent with SATs less than 90% was less than 1% of total sleep time. However, there was much um, individual variability. So some babies spent much more time, um, less than 90%. So the median group average time spent with a tissue oxygenation index less than 55% was less than or equal to 1% of total sleep time, um, with the majority of this time being during the periodic breathing type events. Again, a wide variability between infants. 
So then they looked at the six months um, postmenstrual age, uh, Bailey three. Infants had a median cognitive uh, composite score of 100, a language composite score of 100, motor composite score of 99, social emotional composite score of 100, and adaptive behavior score of 103. All infants scored greater than 85 in the cognition and adaptive behavior domains. One infant scored less than 85 in the language domain, four infants scored less than 85 in the motor domain, and three infants scored less than 85 in the social emotional domain. But then they looked at what was predictive of the Bailey scores. Uh, Interestingly, in this little group, uh, gestational age, sex, and birth weight were not predictive of Bailey 3 scores. Percent total sleep time with all the respiratory events combined and the percent total sleep time spent in periodic breathing at the term corrected age, 36 to 40 weeks, were significant predictors of language and motor outcomes at the six-month corrected age. Um, Percent total sleep time events and percent total sleep time uh, in the periodic breathing at 32 to 36 weeks postmenstrual age at three months and six months were not associated with any of the uh, Bailey three domains. And percent total sleep time in isolated apnea or the sequential apneas were not associated with any of the Bailey three domains. There's no association between the percent change in saturation or the tissue oxygenation index during respiratory events and the Bailey three outcomes. They also looked at a, a bunch of measures of infant temperament, which which are interesting other um, findings. Um, but their their overall um, conclusion is that more time spent in respiratory events, particularly these kind of periodic breathing, um, predicted outcomes at this six-month mark. So I thought that was interesting because, you know, in general, I feel like in the unit when babies have these little dips, we tell parents, oh, they're just little dips. You know, we really worried about the, you know, frequent prolonged dips, not these quick, uh, brief uh, dips that babies have, um, but potentially they add up over time. Thoughts? Well, it's it's an interesting study, right? I mean, I'm wondering what do we take practically speaking back to the bedside? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think every time a baby leaves our unit on oxygen, you're like, man, did we not try hard enough to get this baby off mm. oxygen? But then you read a study like this and you wonder, maybe mm-hmm. maybe we shouldn't send more babies on oxygen. I mean, what is what is the rush in trying to get these kids off oxygen as early as possible if there are going to be uh, long-term consequences to having even slight little events uh, during sleep? Um, I think it's, it's a... It's a, it's a it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I don't really know mm-hmm. what the right answer is, but um, yeah, it's. I yeah, always, you know, there are I some babies tell, who you take off oxygen, but they're really just making it, right? Yeah, I mean, they're really just making. We always it. tell the parents, your baby has been on some form of respiratory support since birth. It's now five months old. We're going to take your kid off, and mm-hmm. we're going to wait. We're going to wait five days, and if everything is good after five days, you're going to go home. How how predictive is that? And are we? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. When you compound that with how difficult it is to have oxygen at home and so on and so forth, it's even makes things more complicated. Um, And to that point, I wanted to mention two other quick um, 
articles. Um, one is an, an actual study, Etiology and Mechanism of Intermittent Hypoxemia Episodes in Spontaneous Breathing Extremely Preterm Infants in the Journal of Pediatrics. Um, lead author, um, uh, Ale, Ale, Alale Dormishian, um, with Dr. Bankalari's group here in Miami. And they really wanted to look at the causes behind these intermittent hypoxemia episodes. And their conclusion was actually that, that maybe we've been wrong about the mechanism associated with these intermittent hypoxemia episodes. You know, we, we think it's mostly related to things like apnea prematurity, um, where there's something wrong with kind of, there's something immature about the breathing center. But actually they were talking about that in this group of premature infants, the predominant mechanism associated with the daytime uh, IH or intermittent hypoxemic episodes was this active exhalation and breath holding physiology. There's also in the Journal of Pediatrics, this editorial entitled Rethinking the Pathophysiology of Cardiorespiratory Events in Infants Born Preterm. And I guess the reason I'm highlighting these is, you know, when we study it for the boards, like what is apnea prematurity? Why do the babies have all these events? There's still a lot of stuff we don't know. And I I feel like for trainees, you feel like, oh, pulmonary is kind of, we know everything we need to know about pulmonary in the NICU, but that is like not the case. Um, And so I think there's just so um, much opportunity for more exploration here. Um, So I just wanted to bring people's attention to that. Thank you for listening to The Incubator. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of The Incubator and new shows from The Incubator Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nicupodcast at gmail.com, or by visiting our website, www.the dash incubator.org you can also message the show on instagram or x formerly known as twitter at nicu podcast thanks again for listening and see you next time this podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice if you have any medical concerns please see your primary care practitioner thank you